0: It's what you know. Usually I have these in braids, uh, but I didn't know how Ann Arbor would feel about braids it's in my beard, so I behaved to myself. Hi, this camera. Nice. Hello, everyone. So this camera here is for all the folks from our quantum catechesis who tune in every Wednesday because they don't have anything better to do. Um, and so I'm happy to, uh, to tell them that we are today live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, the home of um, the Eastern Michigan uh, Hurons. Um, <laughs> so, uh, all kidding aside. So we, we took a look this morning at what are our fears, right? What are our worries, uh, for this next coming school year, as well as what can we do better? And what I want to share with us now with some, uh, general ideas, uh, about challenges and blessings that we can take so that as for this next, you know, everyone always says to oh, teachers, what is it? Three months. It's like, no, I think it's three weeks that you're not uh, working uh, every year. Because, of course, as soon as this year is done, which was yesterday for you, you're still here. And then weeks before the kids come in, you'll still be here. Uh, but be this as it may, and that gap between now and then, I want to give us some ideas to look at. Okay? So uh, the first one, we're going to kind of continue our control chart. And we may remember that A is where we're called to live. What is A? A is what I can control and what I'm called to control. That our goal is to live there. And I was so happy. A few of you asked me this, you anticipated the next one. What's this category? What I can control uh, and what I'm not called to control? What does that mean? It's it's a gap and it's it's a recognition. And if you take a look at Romans 7:14. You'll see it. Namely, I have a lot of things I need to control, but I find myself powerless. I find that I can't be the saint I desperately want to be. Well, what happens there? Well, this is where you and I need to remember, particularly on the Feast of uh, Pentecost. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. If if we look at the disciples pre-resurrection and even post-resurrection, there's a pretty consistent pattern, right? That they love Jesus, they're right next to him, and every time they open their mouth, they say something fairly dumb, right? They say the wrong thing, that only... Such holy, humble men would hand us gospels. Yep. Hey, I lived with God for three years. Uh, oh, great. How did you do? Really bad. Yeah, terrible. I did everything wrong, and when he needed me, I bugged out. Want to read about it? Yeah. This is one of the ways C.S. Lewis actually. I don't know if you know this. One of his the heart, his heart opened to Christianity when he thought, "Who would write that? Who would make up this idea?" I lived with God. He called me to be a special follower of him, and I failed completely. Yeah. Anyway, what we see is not a lack of love or not a lack of desire. And even when they knew Jesus was risen from the dead, their response was to be locked in an upper room for fear of the Jews. Yeah. So at the same time, we know the end. We know they all died for Jesus, every one of them. Well, what was the difference? Well, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to do what human strength couldn't, that they had love for God. They were Peter, right? I will die for you. And then we couldn't. He didn't have the willpower. But once he got the Holy Spirit, yeah, yeah, we're here because of them. We're here because of them. That when we bump into that, I think I'm supposed to control this, but I can't. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Give me the strength. In my 10 years in the high school, I buried 10 kids. Right? I buried 10 kids. And there was one point where we had three deaths. One, two, three. Sorry, four deaths in 10 days. Okay? Okay. And I'm telling you, I would walk into that school, and those kids literally formed a line at my office door, and it stretched to Toledo. And I'd walk in, right? And I'd think, I can't, I can't do this. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. When I was at MSU where Jesus went to school, I was uh, doing a retreat and there were uh, almost 400 college kids on this retreat. And we were driving off to a place far away uh, because, you know, I don't know. And uh, we had a whole bunch of priests coming for confessions, right? So we told them, we're going to hear every confession uh, on this retreat, 400 kids, And, and a snowstorm hit and I was alone. So it was me and 400 MSU kids. And uh, it was 7 p.m. when we started the penance service. And it's very, very, very hard for me to sit still, right? Really hard for me to sit still. Um, But I looked at that group, and uh, we started making strategies. Well, what can we do so that you can, you know, stop when it's time to stop? And I, I asked uh, St. John Vianney. I did. And if you don't know him, best priest God made, not named Jesus, right? And so I asked him, you know, help me out. Because it says he, he would sit in there for, you know, days. And uh, so I said, I'll just tell you when I'm done. Let's just do it. Let's just go till I can. not And so I heard confessions for a bit. And then a kid came in. Well, I'm it, Padre. the last one. And okay, you know. And it was 5 a.m. And I... I am not capable of that. Trust me. I mean, this is probably like when people have you ever seen a miracle, that was one. It, to me, it felt like two, three hours. And that was the Holy Spirit. I, I can't do that. I can't. That's cry. Uh, I, can, <laughs> I can't sit still at dinner. I'm like, let's go. Let's move. Let's do something or I'll fall asleep. Those are my two gears, right? Uh, neutral and fifth gear. Uh, that's what I got. Um, th- that's the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit, guys. I can't hear confessions for 10 hours straight. I can't, especially college confessions. A couple times, Jesus was like, easy, easy. But, um, that's a really important principle for us to remember when we bump into, why well, I, I think I'm supposed to control this and I can't, I can't. Well, praise God. You have his spirit. His Holy Spirit. Um, what about uh, when we drop down to the bottom and we see what I'm not called to control, right? A- and we look there. What, what we want to do there is remember the most, one of the most powerful tools in our arsenal, and, and that's prayer. That's prayer. Now, we're broken, right? We're, our wiring is a little bit crossed, and we tend to think of prayer as a passive activity. Anytime I put up a Facebook post, right, which says something about our first response needs to be prayer, you know what one of the first responses always is? Well, we have to act. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> let's walk through it. Has anyone ever said, gosh, Americans really don't react to anything? Is our problem a lack of action? No, our problem's a lack of prayer. We don't base our actions on prayers, we just close our eyes and start swinging. Yeah? We call that spray and pray, right? Just kind of throw a ton of money at it, throw a ton of words at it. No, we need to pray. And all of our prayer needs to be rooted in action. When you see that kid and you know how that story's going to end, right? If something radical does not happen in his or her life, you know how that story's going to end. It's not your job to try to control that student. It's your job to pray for that student and pray hard, and believe while you pray. And that thing in your head, well, I have to do something. I don't recall Jesus ever saying that. You have to do something. I looked it up. Yeah? Try to do the opposite of what the world tells us. What does the world say? Don't just stand there, do something. No, no, no. Jesus says, don't just do something. Stand there. Stand there and pray. I can't control that. Okay? parent-teachers conferences um, is uh, where, I don't know if you know this, it's where the church gets her teaching on purgatory. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I remember some of these parent-teachers conferences where I'm like, I do have, you know, no, uh, well, I better not go there. I was going to make a gun joke. Can't do that anymore. Um, where you just want to grab the parent and say, what? Like, do, do you get it? Do you, do you get it? You do A every time, and the result is the same every time. Maybe we could change it up. Maybe. Try something different. When you see that just like you, parents are faulty, parents are broken, and you just try and try and, right? Or maybe you have those parents who want a perfect school and don't realize the only way we can be perfect is if you leave. Yeah? All these people want the perfect church? Sure, you need to leave. Then we can start. When we have those moments where we can't control these parents, and we shouldn't, pray for them. Pray, pray, pray. And no, and this one stinks, sorry, someone's praying for you. That exact prayer. When is he or she going to get it? I don't know, but they're loved until that moment. Hmm. So that's, for me, it's such a powerful tool. And and I think of it all the time. Hey, when I'm frustrated, when I'm angry, I can't tell you how much of media is geared toward this, pulling you out of A by staring at B, C, and D. Yeah? I've got Catholics who listen to Catholic-ish media sources and can't wait to tell you all the things the bishops are doing wrong can't wait to tell you about all the bad things. Uh, This priest is liberal. This priest is that. And they have no self-awareness at all. No sense of where they need conversion. They just want to convert you. And not to Jesus, but to be like them. And that's what they want you there. They want you fretting about bishops. They want you fretting about presidents. They want you fretting about everything. Except the one thing you can control. This stuff in here. And when we find we can't control it, ah, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You ever think about that? How often the devil's, one of his best tools is just to rodeo clown your attention away to get you looking over there. Look at how bad those people are. Those people need to change, okay? You need to change. You can't change them. You can change you. And if you have any belief in the power of virtue, then you know that actually does more good. That when you and I decide to be a saint because there's only one reason at least for me I'm not a saint yeah it's because I don't want to be it's too hard it's scary right and we forget it's all in our reach because of the Holy Spirit Jesus help me to be a saint I want to be a saint I'd like to do that I want to have a rookie card it's a patron do you know Saint Drogo do you know about him patron saint of ugly people do you know this Straight up, look him up, D-R-O-G-O, patron saint of ruptured spleens, sheep, coffee, and ugly people. And can you imagine you get to heaven and the Lord sits you down he's like, got some good news. You know what I mean? You're a saint. (laughs) You know, oh great, Lord, what am I the patron of? Yeah, about that. Um, Are you familiar with ruptured spleens? Yeah. Let's focus on that. Um, But anyway, we want to be Saints. And the only way to become a saint is to live in A. Put all of our power to change by the power of the Holy Spirit in A, and then on all the others, we work to serve, right? Because we keep flipping that equation, right? We keep flipping it. Serve me, change the other stuff. And God's like, no, 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 no. You convert. You change. Serve the other stuff. Does this make sense? Okay. This is really uncomfortable. The bullets I take for the team. (sighs) Okay, so that was funny. Uh, One thing I would love for us to remember is, are you ready? We don't know what we don't know. Yeah? We don't know what we don't know. And that is a really important thing to remember. Uh, and my favorite example of this, like I, I tried to tell the stories where I blew it, but this one I was right. And it was kind of cool and it's very rare. Right. So I had a buddy who said, well, he was going to cover one of my masses. And after the mass, he kind of, he pulls me aside and he was so mad about this family that they had three little kids who had bells on their shoes. Right. So the whole mass ching, ching, ching. Jingling, jingle, jingle. And and these were not sung to spells, you know what I'm saying? And he was like, you know, this is our culture, and this is oh, and I let him work up. I had a steam. It was so cool. And then I said, Bro, those kids, their, their parents are blind. Right? They they have the bells on the shoes so mom and dad know where they are. It's not cute, it's not for decor. It's practical. Right? And then I got to make fun of him for like months. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that one. We don't know what we don't know. We have no idea what conditions people are laboring under. We have no idea what data we lack. And when we can keep that in mind, it'll really, really help. It'll really, really help. We don't know what we don't know. There's all kinds of data missing. And and it comes across then, too. Remember, we were talking earlier. Someone brought up about communication and how fraught With danger, any communication is. And my favorite one of those comes from my buddy Bill, who was coaching fifth grade girls basketball. And if you've never coached or watched fifth grade girls basketball, you should thank the Lord. Uh, It is 40 minutes and the score is six to two. Yeah. And, uh, but those little angels were out there just busting tail. And, uh, oh, this is uh, Ryan, this is Bill Wesley. And he's coaching these little squigglies, and they're up a basket with uh, very little time left. And so he called, and they got the ball. So he calls them over, timeout, timeout, and they're all around him. And he tells them, girls, we don't need a basket, right? All we got to do is hold on to the ball. We don't need a basket, right? We, we, We don't need one. And, uh, okay, so they inbound the ball to Annie, who the ball wasn't in her hand .7 seconds, and she launched a three, right, and it missed the rim, the, the net, the backboard, it missed the gym. Uh, she's this tall trying to shoot a three, and it missed everything. And, Bill's so good because I'm just like, oh, and he calls him over and he's doing this face. Okay, girls, uh, do you remember how we said, you know, Annie, do you remember? What happened? We didn't need a basket. I swear, I swear this is what she said. Well, that didn't go in. (laughs) You don't need a basket? Great. Bing! She just threw it up in the air. Uh, She heard him. She heard him. We don't need a basket. Great. I can't make one. Uh, Isn't that crazy? Totally sincere. She was, oh, no, that wasn't going in. You know what you mean when you say it. They know what they think you mean when they hear it. And when someone does different than you intend, a follow-up question's good before rage. Yeah, because you never know. And again, she's a little boo. That made total sense to her. Coach said, we don't need a basket. I've never made one. I'll throw the ball up. Isn't that weird? Would you have ever bent your brain that way? But I was right there behind the bench, watching the discussion, going, <coughs> you know, we lost. But so ask, right? Ask. You don't know, and that goes for your coworkers as well as your students. Yeah, can I ask? Why'd you do that? What? What was going on? What was your plan? What were you thinking? Anything like that? It, it, it leads to this rule. Okay, ready? Ask don't accuse. That's a mom rule. That was my mom's rule. Ask, don't accuse. You did this. Why'd you do that? There's two totally different questions, isn't it? Ask. Find out where people are and what they're thinking. Why? Because you don't know sometimes it's just sin. <laughs> Forgive me. Sometimes it's sin or forgetfulness or whatever it might be. But other times in their head, there's a perfectly good explanation. Let's find out, particularly with your coworkers. It's hard to not be judgy, isn't it? It's hard. But what you want to remember is my mom's second rule, right? Ask to an accuse or second one is everyone's probably doing their best. Everyone's probably doing their best. You might think, oh, no, I've seen what she's doing in the classroom. Okay, that's her best that day then. Nobody here wakes up and says, I'm going to blow it today. We might say, I'm cast out, right? tank is empty, and I'm hanging on by the Holy Spirit, right? It is a thin, thin thread, but I have taken hold, and I won't let go. And that day, that's your best. We want to remember that with everybody. That I don't think anyone gets up. I've got up and said, I'm going to lay down a bunt today. Right? Because that's what I got. But I've never got up and said, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to give my best. How about you? And it's true of the other people you meet. And we want to remember that with each other. In the end, there's a couple. And Not that we're getting to the end. Don't get excited. Yeah. We, we have three enemies, and I'm going to take a look at them real quick. And then we have uh, three, two, um, three blessings to face those enemies, okay? So scripture tells us we got three, the world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? The world, the flesh, and the devil. So we're going to take them one at a time. The world is not the globe, right? God made the earth. It's good. By the world, we mean these ideas that everyone kind of buys into just suddenly. And my Lord, do we not have a million of those right now? Just all of a sudden, we're all nodding and smiling. Okay, yes, I believe this. I believe that. It's ideas that get introduced into the equation so quickly and so on such a mass scale that it doesn't seem like humans could have come up with this alone. We're not that powerful. We're not that smart. Okay. Um, And that idea is what's informing so many of your kids. And they don't mean it. They don't know. They're just living. Uh, Or, well, actually, they're doing the symptoms of living. Uh, But in the end, what it comes down to, and this is awful. It's going to sound awful, but stick with me, okay? I did this exercise with my students. It worked best with first-hour seniors, right, when they're dying, yeah, and I remember uh, our principal, after my first year came to me, are you giving coffee to your students? I'm like, mm-hmm, yes, I am, uh, because it's a 7.50 a.m. philosophy class, and Jesus can't do this, right, let alone a 17-year-old, um, and he was like, well, stop doing that, so I stopped giving it to him. I just started bringing it and leaving it, and if something happened, it happened, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel bad. Is that what I'm supposed to say? Yeah. But this worked best with first hour seniors' philosophy class. We have philosophy in here. I just talked no, we have theology. I just talked to a theology teacher. Where'd you go? There, one. And then two, we had lunch. Yeah. We had lunch. It was wonderful. Um, so I would say to them, Do you want to be here? No. <laughs> right? They are dying inside. And say, Do you, you want to be here? No. Then why are you here? Well, I have to be. Like, you don't have to be what are your parents going to do? Trust me, my generation always wants to ask the younger ones, what are your parents going to do? Mine had weapons. Yeah, (laughs) You know, uh, some part of you really does want to be here, and truly it was easy to get them there. Yeah, I get it. I'm here because I want to get a diploma. I want to finish. All right, sweet. Now, you're going to get a piece of paper from us that says for four years you basically did what we told you. Yes? Yes, great. What are you going to do with that piece of paper? I'm going to go to college. What are you going to do there? Why why are you going to college? What does it come down to? Well, they want another piece of paper that says they did everything we said for five years and insane amounts of debt, right? It's a bonus. Okay, well, why are you going to do that? Why do you want that piece of paper? Well, so I can get a job. You know you're going to be getting up earlier than this, yeah? You're doing all this for a job where you're going to wake up every day earlier than you woke up today, and go do something for eight hours, nine hours, ten hours, whatever it might be. Why would you do that? Why are they doing it? Well, they want money. Okay, why do you want money? Well, they want the house, the spouse, you know, 1.8 kids. Yeah? So they're in class because they want to someday have a house, a spouse, and 1.8 kids. Right? That's why they're sitting there. You with me? So then I'd say to them, raise your hand if you know people who have those things you're gunning for, right? And their hands all go up. And I say, keep them up if they're happier than you. And every hand goes down. That's the world, right? You're here to get something you know won't make you happy. But you're only doing it because that's what you heard you're supposed to do. You can't think of another option. Do I want them to go to college? Some of them, yeah. Do I want them to get married and have a million kids? All of them, yes. Yes but the world doesn't want them to think about it because then their whole life just becomes jumping hoops and they have no foundation to the emotional, spiritual, physic- not physical, emotional, spiritual, I'm from a house that they're building. So they end up with all those things. They've been fighting for their whole life for but never thought about. That's the world. Are you with me? So what does God do about that enemy that we call the world. And this is my opinion, by the way, right? Uh, there's lots of things God's doing about the world. First of all, he died for it. But second, I, but primarily to me, the incarnation. What did Jesus do? Well, it's what we call the incarnation. God took on meat. That in the womb of our blessed mother, he took our human nature and made it to his divine and then he entered our lives. That what is the lot of humans? Well, we get hot and we get cold, right? We, we, we get disappointed. We get heartbroken. Uh, and, and all the happy things too. But we're, we're looking at the dark stuff. And we cry and we laugh and we die. And so he said, well, then I'll do those things. I'll do them because we do. And he wanted to sanctify those things. But Dr. Peter Kraft I love this. He says, the first time Jesus cried, tears became holy. The first time he laughed, laughter became holy. Every human experience that's not sin is holy. He took it on. That instead of saying to us, get out of the mud. Here's, here's a five-point program for you to get out of the mud, and I'll be up there. And you best cowboy up and get after it. Instead, he just got in the mud with us. He made mud holy. And then he showed us how to, and he pulled us out. It's an amazing thing to think of that as teachers and as family, if I can call you family, one of the best things you can do is be that for each other. Show the wonder of that incarnation for each other. I heard you uh brother, right at the beginning that uh, was it one of your coworkers here who lost their spouse, yeah and and what you're all conscious of that that's incarnational, right? that's saying, oh, she or he's in pain, well, let's be in pain with him or her that's incarnational. we talked about empathy earlier remember, empathy's a big part of it and and here this is this is i, I hope this is okay to tell the story because it's that thing um but one of those times all the kids were lined up because one of our boys was killed, okay? And it was awful. And I'm in my office and kid after kid coming in crying and I'm praying with him, I'm praying with him. And he was a senior boy and a 10th and a grade girl came in and uh, she was crying and I, in my head, I'm kind of doing the, oh, I didn't know she knew him, right? I, I had no, idea. well, she didn't. She wasn't coming in to talk about him. She stood in line for an hour to come in and talk to me about something else, knowing that that boy was was murdered the night before. Okay, so what was it? She's in 10th grade, and her boyfriend of, I don't know, an hour, uh, told her he was thinking about going to the Marines after high school, and she was freaking out. Really? Yeah, in my head and in my heart, I got kind of mad. Right? She didn't see it, praise God. But in my head, I was like, really? Wait, Darren got killed, right? And all these kids out there, they, they loved him, and he loved them. This is about your, you know, again, 10th grade. You know, it was one of those serious two-hour, you know, relationships. And I felt such anger for a moment, and as clear as a bell, the Lord said this, I, I'm not kidding. I heard him. That's my girl. And so I hurt with her, and I cried with her. I did. The Lord filled my heart. He was like, this is freaking her out. Who am I? I was 16 once. Actually, I've been 16 for a long time. Um, I got a buddy and best friend in the world. We're both priests, right? And we always say, oh, we grew up together, and then we correct it. We got older together. I don't know how much growing up happened. But the Lord let me do an incarnational thing there. And it blew me away. And I'm telling the honest truth. That wasn't, oh, I can do this. I think it was 07. They're married. They have kids. And I'm an idiot. Yeah? How incredible was that? That right when I was about to, in my heart, make her pain small, the king of the universe was like, excuse me? That's my girl. And she's scared. And she's sad. You pray with her. Who? Who am I? that's incarnational. We we enter it with them. That's God's answer to the world because the world will always reduce them to cogs, to consumers. You exist to be a nameless part of a process that just rolls on and on. And there's our Lord going, oh, you're the center of my universe. I carved your name in the palm of my hands. This is what we can tell people over and This is what we can tell our kids. This is what you can tell your coworkers. Right? When they feel like, how am I doing, how how can I accomplish any good? Well, you be faithful. You incarnate with them. The world, the flesh. The flesh is the next one. And I have a lot of it. You're welcome. Um, I've been collecting it. Uh, I remember uh, when I was a smoker, which is why I'm fat, right? I quit smoking. Uh, and plus I eat a lot, I guess that is some, uh, I remember someone, you know, Father, your body's a temple, the Holy Spirit, I'm like, I'm incensing, you know, but um, it is funny, uh, and it's awful, I, I, I confessed, but the world, it, it's, it's a, that spoiled little child inside of each of us, just wants what it wants, it's always a little bit restless, it's always hungry, it's always a little bit edgy, needs to control, it's that, that bad part of us that gets a lot of our time and attention Um, when you live out in the sticks um, you know big old farm one of the things people would do and this was before Bob Barker encouraged everyone to spade and neuter their pets right so what would happen and this is true if any of y'all grew up out in the sticks like I did yeah you're with me already you wake up in the morning and there are 10 puppies running around your yard because some city person just dropped them off and ran yeah, and they were delicious. I'm sorry, that's not funny. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I couldn't pass that joke off. Uh, um, but so we'd be sitting at dinner. It was, this this was this was so predictable. And at some point, we'd look, and there's those those to boo boosh, booboosh, right? Those little dogs or cats, which are demons, but still, when they're young, they're cute, and and they're just looking. And we had barns, right? So cats always did good. Cats just moved in the barn and killed rats and squirrels and everything. Um, but I always wanted to feed them, and and, and it was a real problem because Dad would say, "This if you feed them, they'll never go away. Right? They'll never go away." And for the flesh, that's what we got to remember. That that cute little puppy who just wants you to cave in a little bit to the flesh, it becomes. A hey, ravenous barn dog, and they're mean and they're scary. Right? For uh, no, I do feed things that come to the door. I am such a sissy, right? I had uh, when I was in East Lansing, uh, there was these two geese that started showing up to my. I'd sit on my porch and do my brewery at five forty-five, and these two geese every morning were like, "Fat guy's gonna be there," and I, I bought a bunch of corn, and every morning I just flick them. I named them Augustine and Monica. Uh, they left me. <laughs> For the flesh, what do we do about that, that ravenous beast? You know, how do we how do we combat? Well, to me, the answer Jesus gave us there is the Eucharist, right? If you're going to feed something, don't feed the flesh. Feed your soul with the bread of life, the, the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Put that in there and let it strengthen your commitment to imitate it that he poured himself out for us, gave himself to us. Dr. Peter Craved quoted, uh, to quote him, he said, you know, if it was just Jesus' blood that saved us, then the first time Jesus' blood we were saved. That's not how God works. God has to give his all. He doesn't know how to go in a little bit. And the Eucharist is our greatest proof of that. He's all in. He's all in. And for you and I, the Eucharist is a sure source of medicine for our flesh. Right? Again, we're not talking about skin, right? Your skin's holy. Someday that body, soul is gonna be in heaven. Okay? And we'll have chiseled abs, I checked, and I might get I'll get my hair back. But for us until then, one of the ways to combat the flesh is the Eucharist. Take Jesus in. Let him start to take up a little more room today than yesterday and drive that flesh right out of us and do the opposite of what your flesh wants, right? So dad lives with me and uh, it's and every night, you know, I'll make him dinner and then he likes a glass of cranberry juice, yeah? I don't know why. Uh, I'm like, if you put vodka, <laughs> great, but just straight cranberry juice, that's an abomination. But anyway, um, I can't tell you how many times, like, I'll have everything set up, and I'll go to bring it out to him, and it's just not in my skull. I'll think, oh, cranberry juice. And it's the stupidest little thing, but I don't want to do it. Right? Oh, this is good. This is good enough. And he would never complain, right? Like, even I brought it to him 900 times, 901. Thank you, son. That's very kind, right? So he always said, thank you, son. That's very kind. I know. Thank you. But I can't tell you how many times it's like eh, he just—he's got water. It's fine. I want to do that, and that's when I pour him a big glass, right? That's when I pour him a big glass. And you think, well, that's small. I know, but that's where the battles won. I can't win the big ones if I can't fight the if I don't fight the small ones. Every little way I can forgive the phrase, stick it to my flesh. I've got to. I've got to. Because again, if I'm not faithful in that little fight. I'm going to be a wreck in the big one. I probably won't even fight it. There's a million little ways you can serve each other, serve the kids, serve the parents that you don't want to do and that are a little bit extra. Yeah, go for it. Not all the time. That'll kill you. But see what God's calling you to. And the Eucharist will give you the strength to do it. The last one is the devil. What's the devil? Well, the most powerful created thing. A fallen archangel, Um, and he hates you. There, there, there's no goodness in there uh, that that will benefit you. Now he'll he'll give you a little bit of good to make sure you end up destroyed. And again, gosh, I quote him a lot, and I'm sorry, but not really sorry at all. Dr. Peter Craved he says he's the nose under the, the 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 he's the camel's nose under the tent right, the whole camel comes eventually, starts with the nose, but he has nothing about your best interest in mind, and I don't want to give him too much attention, okay, he loves that, but more what I want us to remember is that he is limited to power, that that's his Achilles heel, all he has is power, and so he can't create, he can only destroy he can't create, he can only pervert. He can't create, he can only lessen. And so if you have a creature like that, you have one tool that he is completely powerless over in that sacrifice. The devil is powerless in the face of sacrifice. It, he, can't, it, he can't conceive of sacrifice until it's stepping on his, his throat. He can't conceive of humility until it's crushing him. And so those are not just our weapons, but those are our stealthy weapons. Our ability to sacrifice, our ability to be humble. And if you're comfortable answering this question, please do. And if not, it's okay, right? How many of you were wrong in the last year at any point? Okay, okay. Nicely done. I'm sorry, I had to pick on you. Uh, And then, now don't answer this one out loud. How many of you then said, quote, gosh, I was wrong. Please forgive me. If I haven't said I was wrong, please forgive me at least three times a week, then I wasn't paying attention. Okay, that's the the rule I came up with. Because I'm wrong a lot. But at least three times a week, I find myself in a position where I was wrong enough to go, sorry, please forgive me. That was me. I was wrong. I had to say it to kids sometimes. Ugh. Yeah. I had to say it to parents sometimes. And, you know, I would love to say, oh, and they honored it. No, they exploited it. That's what they do sometimes. But it doesn't take away from my job to admit when I'm wrong and to ask forgiveness for it. And doing those things are some of the most powerful f- uh, fights, weapons, weapons, Have spiritually, because again, it wouldn't occur to the devil to do that, so there's no defense. When you and I are wrong, and it happens, we need to say so. Um, I was teaching a history class and I gave the wrong year for well, I don't know if you want to get into all this. Let me think. Well, I gave the wrong year for a historical event, and one of the students, uh, 16-year-old boy, right? Father, you got the year wrong. I was like, Pardon? you know and he said you have the year wrong and he was so ugh, he was shocked you know and my first thought was you know i can i do grades man do you really want to tick me off you know what i mean and i i could tell you his name Ted. is it ted I, I don't think so bro go, father you're wrong okay so i went home that night and looked he was right yeah so the next day i came in true story I says, hey, y'all, remember yesterday when Ted said I had it? And you could see them all gearing up for me to smack Ted down. I went, Ted was right. I had that. I was off two years. Can you believe that? And why? Because they needed to know what it looks like when you go, huh, I was wrong. How about that? I'm wrong all the time. Glad you were here for this one. Yeah? Ted was right. Ted teaches history in the university now. Go, Ted. Isn't that awesome? It's like, of course he does. Jerk. <laughs> but evil is powerless when you sacrifice in the name of Jesus. Evil is powerless when you and I are humble. Um we got to strive for that. Now to me the one that encompasses all three comes from St. John Paul II, okay? And um in fact, I mean can this reach? Can this reach? Okay. Ah. I'm going to write this down. I think this is uh, one of the best things St. John Paul II wrote. So that's St. John Paul II. I will act like I wish I felt. Okay, uh, he wrote this in a context. It was really interesting. He, the whole quote is, the key to holiness does not lie primarily in overcoming sin, but in disciplining and educating our emotions, right? A saint says, I will act like I wish I felt. not that neat? And I hate it. I really do. Um, for our students, to me, this encompasses incarnation, Eucharist, and sacrifice, that kind Right. How? Really simple. I learned right away uh, that students know when you're in a bad mood. Yeah. And they tell each other. It's hilarious. I was in the senior hallway and they didn't know. Uh, I don't know if they didn't know I could hear or they hoped I could. You know how they are. It was like, Miss so-and-so is in a terrible mood today. And and I, I heard this a lot. And then a lot of them were going through their mom and dad getting divorced yeah, and, and, and there's, in the end, what hit me is how often we give them our pain and our sorrow and we make them carry it. I'm having a bad day, you're going to know. I'm having a bad day, you're going to feel it. And their mom and dad sometimes do this with their marriages. It's terrible. I watch kids get moved around like chess pieces. Killed me, huh? And one thing they know is that too much is on them, but they don't know what to do about it. And they think, well, this is life. i got to toughen up and get there. And they need to toughen up, make no mistake. But not there. If you and I decide that they're going to get our best every day, then that's a good thing for them. They're not going to get any of our drama. They're not going to get any of it because they deserve better from us. We should be able to give them a peaceful and safe place. And not a safe place like universities do. I mean a real one. I'm going to protect you from my drama. I'm going to protect you from my mood. You're going to get the best of me every day. You're going to think I'm in the best mood ever because you're worth that effort on my part. My spouse or my family, they can get my drama. They signed up for that crap, right? (laughs) for them they don't need another person putting this on them. Does this make sense to you? I don't know how specific to be. I will act like I wish I felt. It was um not too long ago I I had a stretch where I couldn't catch my day off right just bad thing after bad thing and I, I, had, I it was so funny I told Carrie I we were getting to Sunday and I said when the last mass is done, I'm fleeing like a crime scene. I could barely hold it together, right? I I was falling apart. And um, so I drive out to my sister's house, which was about 50 minutes away. And I got dad with me and we get there, turn on the tigers and I passed out, right? It was a great way to avoid the pain of watching our boys, yeah. and I slept like a dead body. I mean, I, dad Dad said, Joe, I, I, I'm not kidding. The dog at one point jumped on my chest. I'm like, you know, I'm petting him. Um, so then I woke up and I was like, oh, I feel great. Yeah, uh, I felt great. And my sister was cooking and, oh, you know, fat man love garlic, you know, and she was making something Italian. And uh, I was all geeked out, right, going to have a sit down dinner right? uh going to sit down and eat, and then we're just going to be family. And then the phone rang, and it was the emergency line. And um, right away, I was like, I believe the biblical phrase is, oh, hell no. You know what I mean? I was like, I literally, I got choked up. Lord, please no. And it was, mom's dying. We can't find a priest. Can, can your priest help? And um, immediately, and you can ask my dad, uh, Lord just clears a bell, went, you need to go now. And so packed up all our stuff, uh, got in the truck and it was probably an hour and 20 minutes away. And on the drive there, I have all these conflicting emotions. And part of me is honestly, in a good way, I think proud of myself. The Lord said to go giddy up. Right. Another part is like, Lord, remember the, I can't move part. Yeah, and um, I got to the house, and it was so incredible. They just couldn't believe it. They knew I'm not their priest. Um, They knew um, they called and called. They knew Mom loved the Catholic Church. They don't, you know, they don't go. But Mom loved this thing, and I know she wanted a priest here. And uh, I got to her before she died, right, right? And that was cool. It was. There was such a beautiful reward getting in the truck with dad and going, I did my job today. I acted. Like, when I walked in there, they were like, "Uh, are you okay? Were you fine? Oh, no, this is what I do. You know, I, I tried to make sure I acted like I wished I felt. And this was all Holy Spirit, by the way. I'd love to say willpower, but I don't have any of that. Yeah. And there was such a reward to it. A beautiful reward. And when I got home uh, and Dad and I sat down and talked and then it was time to go to bed and and he said to me, I'm going to pray Jesus multiply your sleep tonight. I'm going to pray he'd do that. And he did. I woke up and it was like I got two days off. And I'm not just saying that. When we make that commitment to act like we wish we felt, God's faithful. He doesn't know how to fail. He will give you what you need. I will act like I wish I felt. Hmm? These general principles, uh, I, I hope you find helpful. I do. And I hope you know this is not me telling you I have these things together, so I offer them to you in this convenient package. No, this is where I, I find I'm particularly messy. So I think about it a lot and pray about it a lot. I'm offering you part of my fight. Yeah? And these are the th- some of the things I have found most helpful so far. Uh, particularly, again, acting like I wish I felt, and making sure I'm not attempting to control what God didn't make me to control. Um, What, let me see. Do I have time for one more? I can't see the time. Okay. What the other, the other tool the Lord gave you. So we have the world, the flesh, the devil, and the answer to those, the incarnation, the Eucharist and sacrifice. Huh? And I know the Eucharist is a sacrifice, but I'm specifically talking about this one. Yeah. The other tool you have against the enemy is each other, right? That you have a choice today and every day to make a community and to live a community. And community is hard. If it wasn't, everyone would do it. Uh, But community is clearly divine. That uh, St. John Paul II talked about how we are created, the human race was created by a community of persons a community of life and love that we call the Trinity, right? A community of persons made the human race, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then within that human race, the first thing God made was a community, husband and wife. And that's where life comes from. Uh, Jesus formed a community around himself. And for us, we need to strive for community. We need to fight for community. Community doesn't happen by accident or by proximity. Community happens when you and I decide that the mission is first and that we are third. Yeah, the mission is first. The people I work with and serve with are second in this context, and then I'm the last one in the lineup. So to be a good community, uh, we need to be aware of other people's needs Uh, Our diversion from that is usually our need. Like one thing I have to constantly fight, whoa, it's hitting microphones. It's a struggle. Uh, One thing I have to constantly fight, I'm very aware of how I feel all the time. Yeah, I'm a very emotional person. I feel things very intensely. So what I find is when I feel something and I start processing that feeling, it's very loud. It's very strong. And so what I, I know the Lord is calling me to, and I'm working on that as well. Then I'm going to be aware of how someone else feels, right? That to step outside of myself and realize that other people are feeling something different, just as strong, that other people are feeling needs just as strong. Um, and this is, this is an embarrassing story, but it's, I made it, um, when I was at MSU, where where Jesus went to school, we had uh, two parish buildings and a school. And our mass schedule on Sunday was 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 5, and 7. And uh, it, it, Sundays were full, you know, as you can imagine. And there were between 11 and 1,400 people at every one of those masses. It's just packed. Um, there's a ton of Catholics on the MSU campus. And I don't know what that is. (laughs) I don't know why, but there is, uh, some years there was 16, 17,000 Catholics on that campus. But anyway, all this to say, uh, it was a Sunday night and I had had four of the masses and the day before I'd had two weddings and, um, and as well as mass and confessions. And I was really, really gassed out, you know, and thinking about 900 things, you know how it is, uh, teachers do too. Um, and as I was walking down the stairs to the front entrance, there's this bulletin board and I'm spacey, right? Like just, just two weeks ago, someone said they were working on this thing and they were like, what color are the walls in your room? So we can, and I'm like, I have no idea. Uh, it just occurs to me. I do have walls in there. Uh, but truly I swear to God, no clue. I, I don't know. I, I know I have walls, uh, but I'm that guy. So at this point, a woman kind of elderly woman grabs my arm and pulls me and right away I'm like okay now (laughs) and she's mad and she's pointing to the bulletin board because there was an announcement up there about an event that happened two weeks ago and I'm trying to figure out what she's so jacked up about right because my brain is slow and it was the fact that there was an announcement for an event that was over why is it still on this board and uh, I got really angry, you know, and you know what the first thing I said was, do you have any idea what I'm trying to th- do every day? Do you have any idea how little this matters to me? And I never talk to people that way. Never. And I, and then at, right, ready? What's the answer to that? No, she doesn't have any idea. Well, and why would she? It's in my head. It's not visible. You get me? I learned that day, and I asked her forgiveness. Like, as soon as I caught it, I said, oh, my gosh, please forgive me. I'm an idiot. I'm a jerk. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm beat up, and you care about our parish. I didn't even know we had a bulletin board here, right? She hugged me. But here's the thing. That line, I heard it over and over that night when I was praying. Do you have any idea? No, she didn't. Why would she? And why would I put that on her? Do I have any idea what's going on in her life? No. When we get mad, it's usually because we have an expectation that didn't get met. And the first question we got to ask is Is this a just expectation? Is this a spoken expectation? Those are really important questions to look at when we're angry. I'm mad because I had an expectation and it didn't get mad. What was my expectation? That she'd know my schedule. I don't know my schedule. How could she? And objectively, she was trying to help. This old announcement, take it down. When we want to be in community with each other, one of the first things we have to do is adjust our expectations. Free people of the need for them to be perfect to you. Yeah, free them. You don't need to be a perfect teacher. I'll bet you're a great one. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be a perfect sister. You don't need to be a perfect brother. We're just going to strive together. And the Lord's going to fill the gap with his Holy Spirit. Free other people of that expectation, huh? And know that when we're angry, we need to ask ourselves, what was the expectation that didn't get met? Was it just? Was it spoken? And if not, I need to repent of my anger. Yeah. So this is uh, our talk. Okay. And I know it was a lot of challenges I'm, and I, I'm not sorry, but I'm sorry. The next one will be more, Hey, um, you're all wonderful. Uh, but, uh, what I'll ask us to do is take a few minutes, just, uh, you don't have to think or do anything, just breathe and hang out together for about 15 more minutes, if you would. And then I'm going to get us together and do the last exercise. Okay. Um, so thank you guys uh, for being here. I know post-lunch really stinks uh, for a talk uh, time. Uh, we should have those little blankets and let you take nappies. I know, brother, I'm so with you. Uh, yeah, okay, so uh, have fun. I'll see you guys about 15 minutes. Sound good? Okay. Even if it doesn't, I'll see you in 15 minutes. All right.